Uh, grab that Bible and let's open to 1 Timothy. We're going to finish this letter this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6. <clears throat> and as you can see from our really prideful guy here on the screen, this morning we want to talk about pride. Pride is that, um, it's that feeling of satisfaction. It's, uh, it's a feeling of deep, like, pleasure. It's a, a feeling that wells up inside of you, and it's almost always, you know, connected to you thinking that everyone else is just, like, admiring you, that everybody is, you know, really impressed with you. You're, you feel that way when you're pretty sure that everybody thinks that you're, you know, really cool. It's, it's true that you can be proud of someone else. You can be proud of something that, you know, some, someone else has done, but usually it's connected to you. Pride is all about you. You're feeling good and feeling happy and feeling the satisfaction because, because of you. You think almost everyone around you is just in awe of you, that, you know, you're really awesome. They admire you because of something that you did or something that you have or something that you are. There really are countless sources for pride. Um, you can feel pride for the way that you look. You can have this feeling because of how strong you are or how smart you are. I didn't mean to do that, but it just kind of came out naturally that the guys are strong and the girls are smart. I mean, girls can be strong too. I should have just done it for both. You're right. Um, you might feel pri- uh, pride when, I don't know, somebody says that you can sing really well or you make eight out of 10 free throws or eat three double doubles. I don't know, but you just, there's lots of things that can cause you to feel proud. Maybe somebody laughs at a text message you send, or they just think that, you know, you're awesome for whatever reason. You might feel pride for all kinds of stuff. Pride is one of our emotions that also just so happens to be really dangerous. When it gets out of control, when it gets the best of us, when being proud leads to arrogance, like this guy, when it leads to that feeling of superiority, when it makes us conceited, that's a problem. The Bible actually uses a a word for that, and it's the word haughty. It's kind of fun to say, but maybe we don't always understand what it means. Um, Haughtiness. Haughtiness is actually something that, that God says in his word that he hates. Proverbs chapter 6 in verse 16, it says, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And the first one is haughty eyes. And that's just a way of saying that you are this conceited person. You feel so superior. That's kind of characteristic of you and your life. That's what your life's all about. So pride can lead you there. It can lead you to believe that you're, you know, way better than you really are, that you're better than everyone else. It can make you arrogant and it can give you this kind of false sense of superiority. 
And I believe worse, it leads you to believe that you're better than what God says about you. Believing that you're better than how God talks about you in his word. Pride can fill you with all kinds of false hope and false joy. It can make you think you're pretty good. It can make you think that you don't need God that much. That you don't need his gospel because, you know, honestly, you got a you got a lot of good stuff going for you. Pride so dangerous. It can do all that stuff. There are countless sources for pride. But perhaps the most dangerous one is money. Perhaps the most dangerous one that can lead us to feel this pride and might even lead us to a sense of arrogance or superiority One source of that is wealth. It's one that seems to have the greatest threat to lead us to a place where we might be so secure in ourselves that we feel like we don't need God. Money can do all that, can lead us to that that word that the Bible uses to be haughty. Money is very dangerous and it has a way of filling you with pride. It can fill you with satisfaction, with a deep sense of pleasure because it's often money, and I would say it this way, better, the things that money can buy, the things that money can do, those things are connected to you thinking that everyone else admires you. You you know, everyone's so impressed and thinks you're the best. It's easy for you to think that everyone around you is in awe of you. You can believe that everyone's kind of taking notice of you. They're admiring the, the money that's adding to something cool you did or you know, really just something awesome that you have or who you get to be. When that happens, you know, and it can happen quickly, all of a sudden you're so much better than everyone else or at least in here you think so. Now listen, before you think that this sermon's not for you. You're like, I don't have any money. (laughs) Um, I know that. I just, I want us to know that the kind of wealth and the kind of riches that we're talking about um, would be characteristic of everyone in this room this morning. If we could compare ourselves to other junior hires around the world this morning, I think you would see pretty quickly that you are wealthy, that you have riches. So, All of us are in this category of being wealthy. Um, All of us are in a dangerous spot. So what are we supposed to do? Well, as we end our our study of 1 Timothy this morning, I, I believe that Paul's instructions to Timothy here and the church there at Ephesus, they are so timely for us today. Paul was so concerned with this church and these believers and how they live and how they lived before God, and how they lived with each other, right? That was the theme from his his whole letter. He said in chapter 3, verse 15, that he says, I write that so you'll know how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So Paul, in his letter here, he's giving the church a biblical worldview, how to live in light of God's word. And, and this church was to sort of 
center once again on living in a way that that pleases God. It's a a letter, as we've been studying for a while, that calls us to pay attention to the way that we live as Christians who go to church. We've learned from Timothy how to make sure that we're doing church the way that God wants us to and to make sure we know what we believe and how that impacts the way we fight against our sin. But there's one last thing that Paul is really, really concerned about. And in our text this morning, Paul ends his letter on this high note that's something that everyone in the church really needed to hear and that they needed to think about. And you guys, we are in the same boat. It's a final word, and it's about the believer who is wealthy. How to live in light of of who you are and what God's given you. Just kind of as a reminder, I know we we sometimes feel distance from the Bible and these letters and who they're to, but let me just remind you that this is written to to Timothy, but to a, a church in a real place. It was in a city called Ephesus, and Ephesus was a really wealthy city. Way before the gospel found its way to this place, these people had money. They were wealthy people, and they had security in their resources. Maybe I would say it this way. They had hope that their money could get them out of any trouble or any trial that they might find themselves in, and money has a way of doing that. Who they were and, you know, what they could do and what they had, it tempted them to be proud and really worse, to be arrogant and superior and haughty. As pride does, it was making them think too highly of themselves. They weren't thinking right about everyone else in their church. They weren't thinking right about other believers or other people even in their community and that's also going to lead them to not think right about God either. And my whole point is that we have the same temptation. We are in such a similar boat with wealth and having all of our needs met so well. So, young Christian, how do you live in a way that pleases God? What temptations do you know we need to be aware of? Because you know we too are rich. We too are wealthy. What Sins do we need to avoid because of who you are? Well, our big idea this morning, I'll say it this way, no matter the circumstances of life, a Christian desires to live a genuine life for Christ. No matter the circumstances of life, in times of plenty or times when we're really in need, a Christian should desire to live a genuine life for Christ excited to explain that and unpack that. Might even just give you another way to think about it. It's not just saying you're a new creation in Christ. It's actually trying to live like it. That's what this is about. What does that new life in Christ look like? How can we live our Christian life to the fullest? Let's start in verse 17 of chapter 6 and See what God's word has for us. It says this, as for the rich in this present age, Paul says to Timothy, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. 
thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what's falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. I think it was last July that we began looking at this letter, and it is from an older pastor to a younger pastor, and it's a letter from Paul to Timothy, and all of his instruction in this letter, it was familiar to Timothy already. I think we said that a while ago. These were lessons and motivations and instructions that Paul had already given to Timothy personally at some point. So Paul's just writing to remind Timothy to be confident in his leadership of the church. So it is a letter to help him. That's that's definitely true. It's a letter to help him lead this church so that they act and live and you know, be the church of God that they're supposed to be, but it's also for the church to know. So yeah, it's like we're kind of eavesdropping on this personal letter between Paul and Timothy, but what he says was meant for that church that Timothy was pastoring. He would have read it in front of all of them. That was for them to benefit to it. And, and we have that same blessing, that same benefit to get to learn from Paul all that he was instructing this church to be. So it's a letter focused on two people, Paul and the church, the shepherd and the sheep. And as, you know, sheep and as the body of Christ, we, we have so much to learn here. And this morning, we finally come to Paul's closing words, and they are perhaps the most crucially important for us today. Paul doesn't tell us to get rid of money. He doesn't say that riches and money are evil because they aren't. It's just that we have a responsibility to pay attention to the dangers of money in our lives. We have to know that how to live for God with that blessing of money and wealth that he is often so good to give. So this is something that you're going to have to do. You're going to have to figure this out very likely for the rest of your life. So what... What can help you live your life now to the fullest for the Lord? How can you live a genuine life for Christ when you do have wealth? I'm going to give us four things this morning. And, and the first one is this. We have to make sure we're thinking right about ourselves. Think right about yourself. Verse 17, Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. We've already started to talk about it a little bit, but haughty here is just this word that means thinking uh, exalted thoughts, thinking too highly about yourself. You're, you know, you think you're the best. Paul says to Timothy, charge the rich in your church, order them, give them this command, don't be haughty, don't be this way, don't think so highly of yourself. It's not the way we're called to live. So we know that God hates haughtiness, we read that in Proverbs. He hates it when we live as if we're superior to everyone, but there's, there's so much more. James reminds the believer he writes to in James 4, 6, that God opposes the proud. He's against those who are haughty and prideful. Proverbs eleven two says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. If we're going to live this way, it's, 
God's word is trying to warn us disgrace is going to follow. Proverbs 16, 5, the Lord detests the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they'll not go unpunished. So there's disgrace and there's judgment. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. So God's word is warning us all over the place about the dangers of pride, the dangers of this haughtiness. And it is dangerous. And as believers, we're to never think that we are better than everyone else or anyone else. Money and resources, boy, those are never signs of of God's favor in our life because we deserve it. They're never signs of God's blessing because we're awesome and he knows that. Sometimes we can think that way. We don't deserve it. We're not awesome. No matter the circumstances, we can't think that because of what we have, that we're godlier than other people or wiser than other people or that we're more important. Philippians 2 verses 3 and 4 make that so crystal clear. Do nothing from selfish ambition, Paul writes, or conceit. He says, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. He tells us, let, let us not look out for our own interests, but also the interests of other people. Like we, we need to be able to see the, the people around us and know God's word tells us to, to think about their interests too. How we might, you know, think of them even a little bit higher than ourselves. It's not to ignore what we're doing and ignore our, you know, our needs and interests, but it's to, it's to pay attention to the needs and interests of others. So we have to guard our minds and think right about ourselves. We can never let God's blessing in our life lead us to that place where our thoughts are too lofty. Like, man, God must really love me. Look at this. You are all so lucky that I'm here today <laughs> to just be around you. No, wrong, never. Instead, if you're truly a Christian, you should focus on this. Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is a good way to think about yourself. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved me, even when I was dead in my trespasses, he made me alive together with Christ. I've been saved by grace. Paul later writes in Ephesians 2, by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, he says. It's not a result of works. And I might just try to translate that for Paul a little bit. Not because of anything that you could do. It's not because of anything that you have. It's not because of anything that you are. Paul even then goes on to say, it's not that way so that you can't boast about it. You can't be prideful. You can't be haughty because of who you are and because of what Christ has done. So number one, we have to think right about ourselves. That's the way that we can live our Christian life to the fullest. Number two, we have to have the right hope. He says in verse 17, Again, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. 
It's not easy to see our need for God when we have an abundance. And it's true. When we have all of our needs met, when we don't really have a lack of anything, when life's going pretty well, life we would even say is, is kind of sweet. Boy, in those moments, it's hard for us to see our need for our creator and for our, our savior when we're so spoiled. Makes me think of the rich young ruler after, in Matthew 19, after this rich young man who was seeking out eternal life, he was talking with Jesus and he's so close to the truth of the gospel. But it says that he walks away because he had great riches. He, he left it. And right after that, in Matthew 23, Jesus says to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, pretty tough, than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples understood that, and they say, they're astonished. They say, Jesus, who can be saved then? recognizing maybe even a little bit of their own wealth and their own, you know, blessings that they have. And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So it is difficult for the rich, for the wealthy to see their need for salvation and see their need for, for a savior. But pushing past that, should God's grace save you, Paul's saying to Timothy here, you got to remind the wealthy of this truth. It can still be difficult as a believer for you to keep your hope fixed on the Lord. When you have all this stuff around you and when you face trial and trouble, it's easy to find comfort in the stuff. It's easy to find hope and, and strength and joy in some material thing around me. And, and Paul's just trying to make it clear that's not what we should do. In reality, a trial or, or trouble, it exists to draw us closer to the Lord. That's what James says in chapter 1 of his letter. That trial exists to draw us closer, and we miss it, and we, you know, we place our hope in what Paul says here is the uncertainty of riches. We, we, we're putting our hope in this thing that's not certain. Riches are getting in the way, and they tempt us to have false hope, and to have false security, and to have false satisfaction. Money is such an uncertain thing. It just doesn't deliver what it promises that it can. If you don't already, you will soon and you will for the rest of your life. You'll be tempted to think that, you know, if I just had more money, more resources, my life would be so much easier and I'd be so much happier and I could just be such a better person and I could do so many more things for the Lord and you just kind of go on. If I only just had a little bit more, but that's the uncertainty of riches. It promises all that and it doesn't deliver. I could read you a hundred stories of people who became instantly rich in fact, I read one about a, a young woman who inherited roughly about a million dollars a week. Every seven days, she got another check for a million dollars. And her life is one of the saddest stories you'd ever read, a life of loneliness, a life of just unhappiness. She had all the resources that any of us would ever want. 
And hers is a sad story. It's uncertain. All the money in the world can't give you what you think it can. And it also can't extend your life by a single moment. Of course, it also can't buy salvation because the gospel can't be purchased. That's what we read in Ephesians 2. It's, It's not for sale because it's a free gift. Salvation is a free gift, and it can only be received by belief, by faith. You can't be saved with wealth. It's a gift given to you by the Lord Jesus when you believe that he died for your sin, when you believe that he's paid the price that you deserve to pay because of your sinfulness and your rebellion and your twistedness against your creator, against God. Jesus said in Mark 8, 36, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? The answer is, of course, nothing. The the remedy is to remember that God is this source of everything good that we have. That's what Paul's saying. He's this giver of all this stuff that we're meant to enjoy. Our hope's meant to be in him. James, again, chapter 1, verse 17, he writes, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Everything good that we have is from God, and we're to to just center on that and focus on that. God is the source of all our good and hope, and our hope shouldn't be ever in the stuff that he gives. It's to be in him, the one who gives it. That's what Paul's getting at. That's what we need to remember that our, that our hope is the right hope. Not in the stuff that we have, but in the, the one who supplies it, the one who gives it. We don't need to be afraid of wealth. That's not what Paul's arguing for. We don't need to feel like we should just give it all away. It's, it's something good from above. We just need to keep our hope fixed on the true source of hope. Maybe even just a side note, the reality is none of us are better than anyone else. Romans 3 is true. None of us are good. None of us are righteous. None of us are deserving. That's who we really are. And because of that, none of us have any joy or any hope apart from Christ and his gospel of salvation. Think right about yourself have the right hope. Let me give you a third one here. Give generously to others. We'll go a little bit quicker here. Give generously to others, verse 18, there to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. This is a great verse that's meant to help the Ephesians think about their wealth. We need to get the message too. It's kind of three parts and each one builds. It's first this one word that we translate do good. It's a word that's used here and also in Acts 14 where God gives good gifts to those who hear and he gives generously. That's, that's the whole point. That's what Paul's trying to say here. It's a call to be generous with our time and talents and resources. Give generously. And then Paul adds to it. He says, be rich in good works, kind of suggesting that, that riches creates opportunity for good works. And then this last phrase just makes it crystal clear. Expanding on that first point, Be generous, be ready to share, Paul writes. It requires a heart that's ready to give. 
That's the attitude that we need to have. We, we, we want to be ready and to be generous, ready to share. We need to have an attitude of generosity with other people, an attitude that anticipates the needs that other people might have, a desire to be quick to share what God has so richly given us, right? Out of his goodness to us, we should want to be like, yeah, I mean, it was given to me. Let me share some with you. That's what Paul's getting at. Wealth, it isn't a problem. He's saying it's an opportunity for you to bless others, to give and to be generous with your time, with how you can serve, with things that you can do. God perhaps is blessing you with wealth so that you can be a blessing to others. And that makes sense, doesn't it? The more we have, the more opportunity we have to give in a way that not only honors God, but it it represents the kind of God that he is. Why would you do that? Why would you be so nice? Why are you being so kind to me? Well, let me tell you, because I've I've received so much good. I've received so much kindness in my life. It's it's easy for me to share. It's easy for me to give. I want to do that because of how God's been with me. We should be giving. Why? Well, not only because of the things that we've said, but number four, a great motivation here, just store up eternal riches. How do we live our life to the fullest? How do we live this life as a new creation? Store up eternal riches, Paul says in verse 19, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The stuff that we have here, it really isn't the treasure that we're after, is it? It's not really the thing that we should be wanting. God tells us to store up treasure in heaven. Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we are those people who think right about ourselves and when we think right about what God has given and we try to keep our focus on him and our hope in him and when we're generous with what we've received and desire to be a blessing to others, when we do that, when you live that way, if you are a Christian, young Christian, then you are going to be someone who's storing up treasure in heaven. When you live the way God calls you to live, especially as this text does here, the more we use our lives for the Lord, the more we give to others, and the more we love others the way God loves us, the more treasure we're storing up for ourselves for the eternal day to come. Maybe just thinking about it that way is helpful. The more I try to live for God, the richer I'll be in eternity. And it's not about money. It's about having the reward that God's promising for the way that he's called us to live. When we're obedient to live that way, God says, I can't wait to reward you. I can't wait to bless you. I want you to store up treasure in heaven. When you live the right way, really living that true life in Christ, truly living as a new creation that you are, riches in the eternal day will be yours. The riches and wealth here, they're not bad. They're opportunity for us to love others, but 
the riches in heaven, those are the treasures we want. Those are the riches that we should be after. That's the treasure that should motivate us to live the way God calls us to. We want to be rich in God's reward. Paul had high hopes for Timothy and for his church to really put into practice all that he was teaching them. He was hopeful that they would be a light to the world around them. He he wanted them to figure it out. He wanted them to live how they were supposed to live as the church, as the household of God. And his final word to that church, boy, it applies to us in such a weirdly similar way. This could easily be written to us. Paul could easily be writing this to us. So we can't miss this one matters as much to every believer, even as much as Paul's final words to Timothy matter. He says in verse 20, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid all this stuff, irreverent babble, contradictions of what's falsely called knowledge. It's dangerous stuff because some have professed it and have swerved from the faith. Timothy was to guard the truth of the gospel. The apostles, you know, teaching, that's the deposit that was given to him, the truth of scripture, Timothy can't abandon that as a pastor. His duty, it's to teach the truth of the word of God, not nonsense or babble or some secret divine knowledge. Anything that would separate and distance someone from the truth, Timothy can't be mixed up in that. That's to be avoided at all costs. Those are powerful last words to this pastor, like a final charge and I think there's a powerful call here for us as believers too. We're both called to live in a way that honors God, to live doing that one thing that God's called us to do. Just as a preacher has that singular task to guard the truth, so you, young believer, if you are, you have a responsibility too, to live this life to the fullest And even as a young believer, you can do that. You can live your life to the fullest. You don't have to just wait for eternity. You can embrace that full life right now. And these are four great principles to help you do that. Think right about yourself all the time. Never think too highly of yourself. Think right about who you are in the Lord. Don't neglect that hope that you have, not because of you, but because of who Christ is and what he's done. Be generous in the use of your resources. I know you're not loaded. I know you don't have a pocket full of hundreds. I don't think. If you do, let's chat after, but I just, I get that, but there are, there are other things that God has given you. You can use those things. You can be generous in your time. You can be generous in the way that you, you, you serve your family and maybe serve at church. But the whole point is all of that's leading us to make sure we're thinking about, right, about what true riches really are. Riches here are so uncertain and Paul reminds us, and we need that reminder, the riches in heaven, those are the ones that matter. That reward from God on that day when we'll stand before him, that's the treasure we should be thinking of the most. That should be our motivation all the time. It's what, it's what matters. I'm so thankful for our time in 1 Timothy. And I, I'm, as I read that a few days ago, thought, 
What a strange ending. Oh, it's not strange. It's the perfect ending. This is what matters. This is how to stay grounded. This is how to live your life fully to Christ. Father, thank you for our study here in 1 Timothy. What a great reminder it's been. What a, what a helpful series it's been. Lord, I, I know that it's, God, it's covered so many different topics, but I pray that this last one would leave its full impression on the lives of many of these students here. God, help them to see their need for you, those who don't know you savingly. And Lord, those who do, I just ask that you would help them to embrace what it is to live as a Christian. God, help us always to live right, no matter the circumstances of our life. I think so many of us will be those who, God, out of your goodness and grace, will have an abundance Pray that that would never be a hindrance, Lord, that that would never be something that keeps them from you, Lord, but something that they can think rightly about, live their life to the fullest. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray for the rest of our morning. God, may it teach us, may it instruct us, may it honor you. I pray in Christ's name, amen.